Since coming are the dread fires born again, the hills burn and the lands turn seared. The tides of men run out and the hours dwindle. The wall is pierced and the veil of parting raised. Storms rumble beyond the horizon and the fires of heaven purge the earth. There is no salvation without destruction, no hope this side of death. Fragment from the Prophecies of the Dragon, believed translated by Nilia Basilane, first maid and sword fast to Raiden of Holkachon. Circa 400 A.D. Hi, I'm the Aeolman who can't watch a movie without a big pour of Usquai and popcorn, Dalen. And I am the vitamin C in this drink that we are enjoying today, Eric. And welcome to Season 3 of Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Uh, today's drink of choice is a tequila sunrise. New book? Who this? New book? Who this? And uh, so, Dalen, you you chose the drink for this episode, yes. the tequila sunrise. So what was your uh, what was your idea behind the, the sunrise idea? So, um, my uh, I had mixed up a tequila sunrise and a tequila sunset. Mm-hmm. And I had thought, oh, we're in Roydion for... Uh, twilight, it's the sun is setting, mm-hmm. I figured, you know. And for the, uh, for the listeners at home, what, what is the difference between a tequila sunrise and sunset? So, uh, ideally you want the drink to kind of resemble the sunrise or the sunset. Um, a sunrise has grenadine at the bottom with ice, tequila, and then, uh, you float the orange juice, which essentially is a fancy bartender term for pour it slowly over, so... There's a sort of red, orange, yellow gradient, um, but the opposite of that, a sun set, uh, is kind of the opposite. You do uh, tequila, orange juice, and then you do blackberry brandy, or you can do grenadine if you're feeling fancy, so then it resembles more of a sunset. I did a sunrise, but we are going to pretend that uh, the sun sets differently in Roydian. Um, and I've changed my pronunciation of Ruidian. Here and cheers. Thank you, Michael Kramer. Um, but we've been dark a little bit, but I think we're all recovering from Trailer Guidon. Um, like, and the fact that we are getting Trailer Part 2 and Comic-Con in two weeks is, uh, overwhelming to That's say right. the least. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of content to celebrate for, uh, for all the fans out there. For yeah. Sure. Like, I'm still in disbelief of that trailer. It's great. No, I'm, uh, I'm I'm really optimistic. I think they're gonna nail the uh, honoring the book, but translating it to the visual medium. Yeah, I'm really excited for what they're doing. Because there's a lot that you have to kind of take into consideration with Wheel of Time. Is it's long. It's 14 books, and you can cut some things out, and those things need to be cut and modernized a little bit. You know, this mm-hmm. was written in the 90s to the mid 2000s, early 2010s. You gotta. Uh, modernize it just a bit, mm-hmm. you know. But we are eagerly awaiting the show. Um, we have some fun things planned uh, in the meantime, but let's get started with uh, The Fires of Heaven. And I think if we are going to start a new book, we have to start with the opening paragraph, the iconic paragraph. So um, forgive me, I'm no Michael Kramer, but I'll try my best. Yeah, and forgive me, I think I had a mispronunciation in the uh, one I read, but we're kind of a one-take group, so uh, I think we're going to just leave it in and bear with us. Yeah. The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the great forest called Bram Wood. The wind was not the beginning. They are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we begin with chapter one, Fanning the Flames. And this was... I found it very interesting that we went from a prologue of... and Mostly antagonists. We had Elida in her uh, White Tower. And then we had the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. And now we're meeting up with um, Min, Swan, Liana, and Loghain, who's 
absent for most of it. Yeah, MIA for for a second. Yeah. (laughs) But we find them in uh, Core Springs. Um, uh, Loghain got away after they had been caught trespassing. Uh, Loghain knocked the farmer down and the barn ended up catching on fire and burning. And Min, Swan, and Leanna were kind of left to take the blame, which... Bit of a whoopsie-daisy, yeah. if you will. And so they are waiting in a shed, and the first thing that came to mind when they were like, oh, Swan is laying face down, staring up the ceiling. Do you know that Lisa Simpson meme? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing that came to mind. It was one I could not stop thinking about. It. Uh, there, there's something tickling in the back of my mind. I know we don't do too many corrections on this podcast or anything, but is the chapter called Fanning the Flames or Fanning the Sparks? Um, do I have a misprint in my book by chance? Oh, it is Fanning the Sparks. You're correct. I, I don't I don't know if there's like a real reason to even make that correction, but I do think it's interesting that that they are those they're sparks. They are the beginning of the yeah. flames. Uh, and I think actually it's a, it's, I, I actually didn't have this observation until you said that, that it's very interesting that we're starting with these characters because, you know, half, no, three quarters of these characters have all been kind of on the sideline. Yeah. And like we've seen them, you know, we've, we've seen other characters interact with them, but this is the first time that we're actually seeing them in this perspective. Yeah. We're definitely seeing the world expand a lot more. Like mm-hmm. usually we're starting with Rand. Right. But we don't get a Rand POV until the next chapter. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's also really interesting that, um, you know, I do have m- maybe not so much a, a hard prediction, but there is a, a guess I have that Loghain is going to be very, very key in this book. Um, I do think it's interesting that we are starting out with these characters. Yeah. Also, I have no idea what to make of um, is it Leanne. Oh, Leanna? Yeah, Leanna. She is a very interesting character because, again, we're now, you know, we've been seeing this almost peel the curtain back of the Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. You know, in book one and two, we've kind of had this like, oh, they're very intimidating. There's secrets to them. And we're slowly seeing like these are just human women who have this great ability and have made the world dance while they sang for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing the most powerful woman in the world, and Leanne, who was also just as powerful, brought to men's equal, almost. And there's something about Leanna... uh, There's something she that I read that was kind of interesting, of these women get a new chance to Mm -hmm. start over. And Leanna is talking about how she was raised as a Domani merchant's daughter, and, you know, Domani women have a reputation for being a little, you know feisty Mm -hmm. and she's like i won't say they're not true but you know but she said um by the time i was around 14 or maybe 16 i essentially it's implied that's when she was whisked away to the tower Mm -hmm. where she probably spent the next 30 or so years being the being a novice and then an accepted and then an ice die then keeper of the chronicles and now she's kind of like i'm going back to the one thing that is keeping that's the one part of my old life right and so it's this really interesting thing if we see luann luann leanne <laughs> i'm channeling <laughs> uncle hank i'm asada oh my god <laughs> i'll tell you what bobby I don't trust these Asadai. Is would Bobby be mad? I sell Tirangriel and Tirangriel accessories. King of the Hill, but uh, Hank Hill is uh, Bale Dillman. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, Bobby, Bobby definitely isn't mad. I think Bobby is. Um, Bobby's definitely like a. I'm the Caracarn. Bobby, Bobby is mad because Bobby loves giving comedy and all things oh. comedy. <laughs> Anyways. Oh my god, I'm not... Uh, so... Indiana, not Luann. <laughs> Beloved. Sadly. Hank, King of the Hill character. Um, but I think, like, with that opening paragraph about how things are a circle, and we saw it a lot in Shadow Rising with Rand and the Aiel, mm-hmm. and with Manetherin returning, mm-hmm. you know, parents starting that back up, and we're seeing kind of, like, 
it more on a more molecular level yeah. where Leanna is now circling back to being a Domani woman and, mm-hmm. you know, she's painting her face and she's becoming Kim Kardashian. Like, that's all I really can yeah. picture. You know, that's, that's actually really interesting to bring up because um, I don't know about you, I don't know about the listeners, but one of the things I find most interesting in any medium, be movies, books, music, whatever, I really like poetic echoes. Um, yeah. I think Star Wars does this so well. Of, you know, you, you, you get these lines that are said by a character and they're so iconic. And then, you know, a couple of movies, you get that same line from someone else, you know, like my father before me, you know, that gets said a couple of times. And I think it's so interesting that we have a bit of this poetic echo of, yes, Leanna is back to where she started. Also, Swan. You know, she used to be the head honcho, and now she's yeah. taken all the way back down. She effectively doesn't have any rank. You know, she's announced it's a beginning of her, of whatever this journey is. And yeah. It's very circular. It's very interesting, which I think makes it all the more interesting that you kind of have these variable characters. Yeah. You have Min, who has these visions, who, in my opinion, is one of the strongest characters, you know, from a, like, a mystic uh, perspective. Yeah. Because I don't think so far we haven't been introduced to anyone else who has these visions or no or anything like that we so. know there's a gift called foretelling but even then it's mm-hmm. we haven't seen we've seen one in mm-hmm. elida and eye of the world but other than that yeah. nothing really and so with min like her placement with these two women and you know little game itself i think there's a very interesting thing of oh she's kind of on a new journey now and then you have little game who you know i, I still have my prediction that he's going to be unstilled yeah. At some point, because, you know, his journey as a false dragon was effectively closed. But now we have the beginning of another Yeah, he journey. was brought it's, back for a reason. Yeah, it's, it's all very circular. And I, I gotta say, you, you, you hit it on the head. It's very interesting that we're not starting with Rand. I'm also so appreciative that we aren't. Just yeah. because it feels like the world is blowing out. It does feel yeah. like the dragon's prophecy is, you know, enveloping all these characters from all different types of corners. So yeah. it was a very, very welcome opening. For sure. And it's funny because we may not start with Rand, but we're starting to see more of the effect Rand has had, Mm -hmm. I think. It's funny because when they were just, when uh, Robert Jordan was writing about the wind traveling, he almost describes a barren wasteland of what Core Springs is. Like the wet, the water's dried up, plants aren't growing, it's boiling hot. And then we cut to Rand in the next chapter in the Aeol Waste, right. you know? So we're starting to see a sort of uh, sort of uh, corruption of, you know, because they say it's late summer, but when, uh, like, the it sounds more like it's the middle of summer, you know? Right. So we're starting to see things aren't quite right mm-hmm. in the Westlands, and this lingering like the more seals that are being broken i think the more we're going to see nature kind of distorted Mm -hmm. but we do get uh so hearing this chapter read out by kate redding is actually really funny because that trial scene is pretty funny because it's three people trying three different motives and three different ways to get what they want because we get to see gareth Bryn again who was let go from uh, Camelin, presumably around the time Ravine came in, but, uh, he is the local lord that is presiding over this, and it's really funny, because Swan is still clinging to that Omerlin seat, like, listen, I will do this, and then, like, she gives him a big promise of, like, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can, and Leanna tries to do her Domani charm, like, switches her hips, like, bats her eyelashes, and Min is just, like, I don't want to die, so please, can we be chill about this, man? Yeah, it was a it was a very it was a very slick way to kind of uh, tell us who these characters are. Yeah, and really, if we're you know, because I don't even think you know, even the one that we know the most, Min. I don't think we've gotten a perspective on her yet, have we? Uh, the opening Except of the... Uh, Shadow Rising, we got oh, okay. her, 
but we really haven't been inside her head mm-hmm. a lot, you know? Yeah, besides, like, that that scantness, there's there's a real cool focus on these are how these women react in these situations. Yeah. And I do think, you know, again, not necessarily a prediction, more of just a literary observation. <laughs> uh, I think we're being shown this because each of these three women are going to change radically throughout this book. Yeah. I think their approaches are going to be completely flipped uh, 180. You know, I do think Swan is going to be taken down a, a bit, you know, yeah. from that authority figure down. And I do think, you know, Leanna is going to find a more dynamic yeah. <laughs> uh, approach than just, you know, where she comes from. And I think Min is going to kind of find out she's in store for a lot more because I think her thing was a weak promise in trying to get out of it. And yeah. So I think she's going to get wrapped up in all of this a lot. So I'm just, I'm very... It's a very intriguing way to start a book after, because, you know, one of my biggest things has been these books are almost too formulaic for me. Right. We are absolutely breaking forth. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm so happy. It's so refreshing. It's, and I, you know, coming back into this book, this was the last book that I finished before we started this podcast. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I was somewhat into the Lord of Chaos prologue, and then I went, uh, let's take a break because mm-hmm. there was a POV character that I was like, oh, okay. Um, so kind of like this is, diving back into this, this is one of my favorite books. Um, a very, very interesting book for reasons that I cannot tell you, but um, I really just, again, I love that trope of being able to start again and those opportunities are so rare. And, you know, um Logan is such an interesting character and I'm really glad we're going to be seeing more of him in the mm-hmm. show. Um, but I do like when he comes back. Um, so ultimately Gareth Bryn says, you three are going to work at my house and just until it's all paid off. And they're like, well, fuck. Cause they've been searching for a gathering. Like they've been to every town from between Core Springs and Tarvalon and, Swan's looking for a gathering of sorts. We can assume it's Aes Sedai, but there's been no luck. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're going to be stuck there until Loghain knocks out their uh, rider. And he goes, all right, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. And they head out. And it's a, I really like the dynamic mm-hmm. of Loghain and these women. Because, again, he there is a sort of like... something that now bonds them is like they've been stilled Mm -hmm. and so it's like he can kind of relate to them but Min also sees there's something glorious to Mm -hmm. come with him yeah it's a great character introduction overall and I do think it's interesting that we have these you know and and some of this might be extraneous some of it might be superfluous I'm just taking it all because you know uh, this is effectively four chapters out of all the ones we have so I can kind of Focus on these before we get more stuff introduced. Right. I do think it's interesting that we have these three women introduced. They have each very individual approaches to a problem. And the way the problem gets solved is a man <laughs> with physical violence. Yeah. Um, you know, not that I'm saying I'm for it or against it. I just think it's interesting. And I do think Robert Jordan doesn't just right for the sake of it you know right. everything kind of comes back there is a poetic echo to everything and that's why i'm kind of very much on my logan's gonna be knocking heads this book I yeah think. i really do think he's gonna be instigating stuff i think he's gonna be the initiator for a lot of things and i do think violence is gonna come with that and i think this is just a bit of a foreshadowing yeah of the book at large like a sort of microcosm for what's exactly. to come exactly so you know again no specific predictions but that's something kind of in my back pocket Cool, cool. And then I need to remember if the Gareth Bryn thing happens in... Uh, we get a perspective from him, yeah. Yeah, okay, so... I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> if I'm being 100% honest, I do not remember. Uh, oh, that's yeah. fine. I mean, this could be a little editing point, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so essentially Gareth Bryn, we switched to him, and um, he kind of took notice of Swan and he has decided to ride out with them, uh, ride out with his gang of little old men. <laughs> it's like, uh, what is that movie with John Travolta? Um, Greece? no, it was Saturday like, Night Fever? no, um, Pulp Fiction? 
Uh, it's no, it's more recent, fairly recent. He's like Battle Battle LA Battle Earth. What, what was that term? It was the hog. It was like it was him. Oh, and wild these, hogs. Wild hogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's very wild are you, hogs. Are you kidding? The two thousand three. Someone might have to fact check me on that. Blockbuster with John Travolta, Tim Allen. Row, 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 row. 2007, <laughs> excuse oh, 2007. you. So I was 14 when I came. I think I, uh, no, I remember seeing that. It was great. It's got the, uh, it's got the guy that I always mistake for, uh, Willem Dafoe and, uh, Dennis Leary. He's, he's the nerdier version of those two. What the hell is his name? This it's is okay. A, I'm taking way too much time. It's Wild Hogs, the new Linda Cardellini. <laughs> is this <laughs> it? Every every book, we're going to have a new curse. This is the curse of the wild hog. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the, hey, I heard you were a wild hog. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so we kind of get his perspective of uh, the Stone of Tears fallen. Swan Sanchez has uh, been killed, and so is Loghain. Elidus in Omerlin's seat. And... Uh, Bryn's like cool, and so his POV switches as him and his little me- and him and the wild hogs uh, mm-hmm. head out. Um, but then this chapter, the last two POVs of this chapter are really interesting because we're in Camelin and High Lady Ultima, Ultima, Ultima is back. I was gonna say I follow your lead on that pronunciation. Yeah. Ultima is that what we're going with? Yeah, Ultima. Like yeah, I was just like, oh shit, like. Again, it was one of those things when I read this book earlier this year, I didn't really, like, go, oh, it's her. I just went, mm, okay. So, Dalen, you're going to have to refresh me on who Ultima, mm-hmm. who Ultima is because as a first-time reader, whenever somebody makes an appearance or a reappearance, I have to fight the urge to look at the wiki uh... because I know it's going to spoil so much in the future yeah. or, you know, spoil their ends if they die or have their spoilers yeah. wrap up. So remind me, remind me about Ultima. Ultima was the woman in tier that, um, was supposed to go with the scheming Lords to, t- uh, Kyrian. Right. Rand was kind of maneuvering. Yeah. Some stuff. Okay. And she was the one whose husband she'd poisoned and now, her husband and his like lover are now conspiring, so she's like, "Well, can't go back to Tyr." Excellent. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and so she came to Camelin thinking like, "Oh, I'm gonna get a spot here," and she walks right into Ravine's hands. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I really like because we're we're effectively in chapter two now, right? Uh, we're still in chapter one. In chapter one is just the end of the POV. Yeah, because uh, we have one more, and it's more ghosts. Okay, perfect. Then I'll I'll save my uh, I'll save my observation for that. But yes, she walks right into, uh, and we're gonna go with Ravine. For Ravine, now. yeah, yeah, no, Gabriel, you, you that identity is uh, snatched. We, yeah, we know who you are. We know what you're doing. <laughs> we snatched that wig, <laughs> pulled off that mask. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and like she even notes that like oh, Morgase is a lot more giddy around Ravine and like. She, Ultima ends up, Robin comes in and just is like, so what are you doing here? And he uses compulsion on her and she just starts spilling. She's like, poison my husband, Randall Thor is the dragon reborn, just kind of giving all this information. And when we think back to the prologue, when it was Ravine, Lanfear, Samael, mm-hmm. Grendel, yeah, just those four, mm-hmm. you know. We didn't get what their plan is, only Lanfear telling them to lay low for a bit. So, it's a little worrying because we only got into Ravine's head a little bit, but not enough to know what he's planning. He seems very a Mogedian type of just laying low. We we see what he's doing, we don't know why. Yeah. We don't know what the play is yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because we ultimately don't know what his plan for Morghese is. It's like... He seems to just be keeping her around, but we don't know if he'll kill her, if he'll, like, essentially you're past your usefulness, you know? Mm-hmm. Because he could plunge, uh, maybe plunge Camelin into wars. He kind of is in a place where he can kind of do whatever he wants, but he's kept Morghese alive, you know? I think he realizes there might be, uh, I don't know, I don't know how much he knows about Rand's, uh influence or Rand's involvement with Camelin with like Elaine and all that so mm. it's a bit of a mystery 
doesn't make him too intimidating, but it does kind of like keep me watching out for him. Yeah, he's he's definitely holding position on the chessboard for yeah. sure. And I'm kind of curious again. It's the first four chapters, so I don't have too many predictions. I don't right. have too many, uh, you know, blind half-court shots or anything. I do have a couple of observations, a couple of, I wonder if this is going to happen, I wonder what if. Uh, I'm very curious as to how long Ravine can play this out for. Mm. Because uh, uh, Queen Morgay you know, under compulsion. It's going to start getting suspicious kind of quick, in my opinion. Yeah. Unless he's got a hold under the whole guard and the whole city, which could be very formidable. Right. You know, it's very much a path of that that could happen. He could absolutely have a stranglehold on uh, uh, Kaelin. Yeah. So, well, I think that's what was kind of implied in uh, Dragon Reborn was right. uh, Ravine had kind of ousted all of more Morgase's loyal mm-hmm. guards. He warmed himself into him. Yeah. And that backseat of power. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And kind of add a new guards to mm-hmm. Camelot Palace. Yeah, and if I can just say, because we're here, uh, compulsion by far is the scariest, most fucked up thing in this series yeah. so far. Just that ability to compel someone is such a is so conceptually scary to me. Yeah, uh, it's it's so fucked up. I love it. <laughs> and we see the effects of it when we uh, end this chapter with Morgase. Um, she kind of gets to her room and is like, "Wait a minute." Who is he to command me? And like, but she's really unable to fight it. Like, right. we see how this woman is so just like, fucked, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm curious how that works. And I'm sure we'll probably get, or actually, you know, I'm not even sure if we're going to get the rules of com- compulsion. But I do love the idea of, all right, we're starting to figure out how this works a little bit. Yeah. Is it by proximity? Is it by the strength of the person compelling? Is it dependent on the strength of character of the person being compelled? Yeah. Because I'm hoping, uh, <laughs> not a prediction, because I don't think it will happen, but I'm hoping more gays breaks free of it. Yeah. I think that would be such a cool moment. I would love to see that retribution. I would love to see that. I would love to see more gays in action the same way that uh, uh, that Tom has seen her. Just, yeah. Because he's, he's got like way long ago connections to her, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, I wanted to make sure I had my They were my lovers queen. in the past. Okay, good. So I do have my, my ducks in a row. I would love to see her kind of, uh, you know, flash some of that old Morgays to us. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that we're getting set up for that. And I think to answer your question about uh, compulsion, I think because Leandrin compulsed Julian Sandar, she used compulsion on him mm-hmm. in the chat. Nope, in the Dragon Reborn. Right. So I think it mostly just depends on the strength of the person. Mm-hmm. And remember, Ravine is from the Age of Legends where... Aes Sedai were much more powerful, mm-hmm. you know, and so you know, all the Forsaken, we're dealing with power that's really a lot more stronger than even like Egwene and Elaine who are very strong in the power but it's almost like being able to do um, a bench press with 100 pounds versus someone doing it with like 400, you know right. it's kind of just like Maybe that's the wrong analogy. No, I think that's perfect, actually. Thank you. It works out really well. (laughs) Woo! Um, But that's where the chapter ends, and we now head over to Ruidian with Brandon Allen Thor. My boy, Brand. (laughs) Brandon. Brandon. I still love that Asmodian is... I love Asmodian as his, like, unwilling tutor... It's it's just this really fun, like, oh, fuck, well, no other choice, you know? I was starting to get really, not, not really, I don't, I don't want to put too much on mm-hmm. it. I was starting to get bored ever so slightly with the Rand POVs because, mm. again, I think we're breaking even more formula, and I love yeah. that, but it felt like up to this point, it was so much of Rand kind of discovering his power, discovering his influence, and slowly starting to flex that a little bit, which was cool to see and cool to see him grow. But I can't tell you how much this dynamic changes reading the chapters. Just Asmodian there in proximity to him. Like, quite literally just a forsaken chilling around everyone I love. Yeah. Uh, It's got me on pins and needles and on my toes every time I I, I was reading. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's... Well, the one thing with Rand is he's... It's tough to read because 
you know, in any other story, Rand is, well, in the story too, Rand is the hero. And so we never really, like, a lot of the times in a lot of other stories, the heroes sort of just bounce back. Mm-hmm. You know, any trouble, they're like, well, you know what, we did this, let's push forward. Right. Rand is very much dealing with slowly encroaching madness. And we start mm-hmm. to see that a little bit. Like, he remembers Ileana, who was mm-hmm. Luce Theron's old Luce Theron's wife, yeah. and he's like, where is this coming from? And he can picture yeah. Ileana. So it's like, we are starting to see someone who's traumatized as it is. Well, and this is the, the first time in this chapter, too, where he himself is referred to as Luce Theron by someone else who is not a Forsaken. That's chapter three. Damn, I keep jumping the gun, don't I? It's, you are too excited. You are I very am, excited. I, I, I came in, I did my homework, I've got stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> but yes, uh, to, to that point, we do see him in madness. And I, I think you've got a really good point. You know, traditionally, we see the good guy fall off the horse, bounce back, learn something, get back on the horse, yeah. and, you know, reapply that to whatever. Or at the very least, you know, very traditionally, we just have opposing, light versus dark, good versus evil. Yeah. We have the good dancing with the evil now. Yeah. Officially in the same room. And the... Rand is with the Forsaken. Yeah. Like, of all... Rand could fuck, should... Like, a, it's such a gray area, you know? Because it's like, Asmodian is objectively evil. Right. But it's like, he's on, Rand's only hope to be able to, if even he can, prevent mm-hmm. some madness. Because it's like... Ravine, Samuel, and Demandred would just instantly just kill him. Right. And he got, Rand got real lucky with Asmodian. You know, he's lucky he got this dude who went to the dark side because he wanted to compose music for ages to come, which I think is like, you know, when you think about the Forsaken, you know, this isn't huge spoilers, but like Mogedian was essentially a social worker. No. Grendel was a social worker who just kind of went, eh, fuck it. Let me live a life of luxury. Ishamayel was a philosopher. Bilal was a clown. Um, <laughs> Agenor was an engineer. You know, these very ordinary people who went evil. I think it's so funny that Asmodian says, well, I wanted to compose some yeah. sick beats, you know? <laughs> well, again, we, we get these poetic echoes because Rand was just a sheep herder. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting that, you know, he's, He's destined for greatness, obviously, but he's also destined for destruction and madness. Yeah. Um, another parallel I thought was very interesting about this dynamic is we have Ravine in Morgays. We have a Forsaken with somebody in a, in a seat of power. Ooh. We also have that here. And you know what? I'm not sure who is who. Because, you know, you would think that Rand has um, Mogedian under his control. You mean Asmodian? Asmodian. Yeah, I said Mogedian? Yeah. Damn, fuck these names, dude. Mogedian, uh, is, Mogedian is presumably still in the West. We yeah. actually don't know where she is now. Okay, so that's that's a triple question mark. Yeah. Uh, Asmodian. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that Rand has Asmodian under his control as much mm. as he thinks. I think... Very much the Forsaken are very slippery. They're like spiders and snakes. I, yeah. I, I feel like this is a long-term positioning play that in the short term is going to work out for Rand, but I really do think this is going to bite him and everyone else on the ass yeah. in this book. Well, we saw like at the end of the chapter, because Asmodian can still channel a little bit. Like mm-hmm. He made the goblet fly, uh, float into Rand's hands, so who knows if he can break Lanfear's shield. Yep. You know, It's so tenuous. Exactly. But I want to talk more about uh, Moraine and Egwene because mm. they've been loading up uh, the a lot of the Terangriel, Cyangriel, and all that in the plaza, um, including like the twisted door frame and more. And one of the hair, uh, one of uh, Haddon Kadir's men falls through it. Um, but Rand is watching this, and we learn uh, one of the seals that Moraine has is starting to flake off. And she says, I'm going, I'm leaving for Targalon. And her and Rand are still butting heads. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of friction. There is a lot of friction because I think I think Moraine is kinda like, Well, I'm leaving, so you know. I actually really appreciated this move from her too, because I was so afraid that she was gonna try to sink her hooks. Yeah. A little bit deeper into Rand and, and you know, de facto kind of push him away even more. So I actually whether this was calculated, whether this is, you know, a different type of play for her, I'm very happy to see how this takes these two characters because they've always been together. And yeah. 
whether he likes her or not, she's been a bit of an advisor for him. Yeah. Even if he doesn't take her advice, he, he still gets the information from her right. and decides what he's going to do. Yeah. And it's fun seeing Rand and Egwene together again. A, a Rand even remarks, like, even when we were kids, she would always try to take him down a peg. And I think, you know, reading first reading this, I went, why can't she just respect him? And then I'm like, I feel like if my sister was the leader, I'd still be like, Remember when he did this as a kid? Yeah, mm-hmm. you're not... Like, for Egwene, he will always just be Randall Thor, the shepherd. Uh-huh. You know, which is good. It's someone to humanize him. But it's also a little problematic in that, like, well, yeah, but you need to respect him like you would the wise ones. Right. But I can see why she's just kind of like, I remember when you got in trouble with Matt. Like, don't try to, like play up like ooh Karakarn, nice try, you know. Well we kinda see a bit more of the progression because um and stop me again if I'm jumping too far ahead. Yeah. But he's waiting for the other clan chiefs. Yeah. Right, in this chapter. Yeah, that was um, the the meeting with the clan chiefs. He has right. half of them on his side mm-hmm. and we all know that if we find out like it was when he's talking with them, any messenger he's tried to make peace with Kulden has been skinned alive. And I'm like, so that's a no from the Shido. Yeah. Uh, another observation. Uh, yes. Tangentially. Uh, Shido? Shido. Shadow? Ooh. Uh, I do think that the Aeol are going to have a civil war, and I do think the Shido are going to be backed by Shadow Spawn and Dark Friends. Well, it's also not helping. Um, we're learning a new thing called the Bleakness, which is where Aeol have started to kind of uh, do a blue screen of death almost, mm-hmm. where they'll kind of just like look out for several days unmoving and then suddenly just throw their spears and bucklers down and just go. And we find out a lot of these Aiel are running to their own uh, clans that have joined the Shido. So we're starting to see, but also we're starting to see Shido maidens and all them defect mm-hmm. to Rand's side. So again, we are at this like, fuck, right. you know, like, Everything is so, like, there's no clear, okay, well, we're just going to go fight the Shido. It's like a, well... They'll come around. We're yeah. Gonna, we're going to wait for them, and I do think that's going to be their undoing. Yeah. Um, but that's a bit tangential. That's just an observation, yeah. bit of a back pocket thing. Because going back to Randon of Wayne, I think you're exactly right. I think it's so interesting. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Black Panther, you know, where uh, T'Challa is, you know, the king. And yeah. everybody respects him, but then you have his little sister, Shuri, oh who, like, completely just ribs him at every turn. Yeah. I know Rain and Egwene aren't familial, you know, there's a bit of a romantic background there. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy, because it's, they're getting away from that so fast. And oh, I remember, yeah. I think it was in Eye of the World, maybe it was Min, maybe it was Moraine, somebody said... You two will be connected, but that it's was not one of, the way you think it will be. It was Min's, uh, one of Min's uh, show uh, viewings. Exactly. So just the fact that Egwene is still very much in the inner circle of Brandon actually, yeah. you know, kind of shows him a softness that he's not getting from Perrin or Matt. Yeah. You know, they're, they're very much arms length. Well, I mean, you know, Perrin is very much a... Uh, a, a couple miles away. Yeah, Perrin is, Perrin is uh, <laughs> as far as possible. But you, you've got this real kind of sweet connection yeah. that, you know, isn't totally romantic. It, it does run a little bit deeper. You do have these two characters that have been forged in their own paths and journeys, and yeah. they do. They, they, they diverge from each other, and then they cross again, and they intersect, and it's, uh, it's really cool to see that because it, it still reinforces my prediction that Egwene is going to still reign. Mm. I think we're getting set up for something just tragic like yeah. that. Because, yeah, and I really do love the softness. There is that, like, Rand, you're an idiot. <laughs> By the way, Elaine says she loves you. Which, I've got to, like, girl. Like, which I'm still, like, Elaine loves you. I'm like, she's talked to you, like, for five minutes? <laughs> Again, I have to buy... Oh, like chalk it up to Taviran, but it's still just like okay. Yeah. Guess we're doing that. You well, know. Well, and I think it's interesting because uh, again, stop me if I'm jumping chapters. They all do blend, but <laughs> I think right. No, no, no. It is the next chapter. I'm gonna hold that for, for, for <laughs> cool. When all the end it comes in. Yeah. And stuff. Um. <laughs> so I mean, chapter three immediately picks up where uh, chapter. Oh, I completely forgot one of my favorite moments of chapter two is. Rand kind of sasses Moraine and he feels something hit across his back and he's like 
that was Egwene. She, Moraine wouldn't stoop that low. And then I forget, Moraine actually strapped him across the back with the power. And Egwene was just like, what does it mean? <laughs> a great little, like, Moraine's starting to snap a little bit with Rand, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think Rand is, I think she's trying to impart some wisdom and Rand's just like, no. Like, like, kind of like, thanks, anyway. Mm-hmm. But chapter three picks up, Rand picks, Rand picks up Asmodian. And it's just like, dude, what the fuck? You can't channel it. Asmodian's like, relax. Strums his harp. Asmodian, I love his harp playing. I love how he keeps playing March of Death. And I'm like, I hope in the show they keep the harp, but I also hope um, they give him a trumpet or something. So, like... Anything like happens? Yes, or like Rayleigh's. <laughs> like it is, it's one of my favorite things. Like especially when Asbodian tells the story of, he's like, yeah, um, I one time saw a guy dangling from a cliff, and he grabbed the grass, hoping he'd get him. Did you help him? Bum 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 bum. Here's Wonderwall. Anyway, exactly. Like it's such a great like. Anyway, but again, we do get an interesting foresight to uh, a Forsaken's mindset because Lanfear, we kind of had a one-on-one with her, but really, I don't know. Um, Asmodian is interesting because he's a lot more passive. Like, there's no immediacy. Like, he's kind of just like, well, do what you want either way when... The last battle comes, I'm killing myself because there's no fucking way I'm letting the Dark Lord, uh, the Dark One, uh, punish me for this, you know? Right. He's like, Samael, Rabin, and Demandra, they're not going to help you, bud. Like, he's kind of just like, I'm doing what I can with the limited amount of power I got, so... Do-do-do-do-do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... Which, again, I, I, I just, it's... I can't, I can't trust him. Yeah. It's, it's a Forsaken, so I feel like it's all a ploy. I really do. All right. And I, again, like, it's definitely, it's funny because it's a perfect blend of, if Lanfear was in this position, I think we'd see that playing a little bit ahead of time. Yeah. I do think Asmodian is ever so slightly, if not more savvy, at the very least stronger at downplaying his intentions. Yeah. And very much okay with this setup because he's got nothing right now he's no. it feels like he's waiting for an opportunity or even if he's not actively waiting just knowing that something's gonna happen or yeah he's gonna take himself out which yeah is pretty grim but I mean, relatable I'd yeah be, I'd be the same thing. i mean it's like it's either that was coming for me yeah like because it's like he spent a couple thousand years vibing with forsaken oh. being one of the most feared names and then all of a sudden he's working with the dragon. Yeah. It's like he he's not going to be exactly welcomed back by the remaining Forsaken. So, and like if Egwene or Moraine found out about who Jason Natal really is, they would, they'd kill him. They'd be yeah. like, no, fuck that. Like, regardless if he's your gleeman, mm-hmm. we're not, you can't do that, you yeah. know? But... We switch POVs, and Matt is fully fucking vibing. <laughs> he is drunk off of Usquai, and he is singing a little ditty uh, called Jack of the Shadows, and we learn that it's kind of like a death song, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Matt's like, pulls a hipster, goes, they haven't sung Jack of the Shadows since this battle with Arthur Hawkwing years a couple centuries ago, you know. And Matt pulling out those old battles from the Yeah. I, you know, I very much think he's going to be a general. He's he's going to lead some battles. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. I, you can't tell me I'm wrong. I, I know. Oh, no. I, I was not disagreeing. Be. i got to be. <laughs> well, it's funny because he keeps talking. He kind of confirms what we've been guessing is his memories and these memories of these generals are now one. Like, there's no... He's like, I remember being born 20 years ago, but I also remember this battle and this battle. So... He's kind of multiple people in one, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but he's been throwing knives with the Aiel, like kind of doing like a, they'll throw it in the air and he'll hit it. And he's, Matt's got a little hookup. Like he's got a little, uh, uh, there's an, uh, a maiden 
named, or maybe a Shido maiden, I believe. Her name is... She's just like Matt to get in league with a Shido, like, as if it wasn't complicated enough. We've got a Tavaren getting wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, he, she's, she's probably doing more rapping. Hey, but yeah, um, Melindra, 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 mm-hmm. Melindra. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, the chapter ends, she's kind of like, oh, let's go fuck. And he's like, yeah, I do think it was interesting. I do believe it was this chapter. Stop me if it wasn't. If it isn't, well, it's, it's, fun. Fun. it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. He's very much hung up on the, uh, on the moon, the... Oh, the daughters of the, the daughter of the nine moon. Yes. Yeah, he because I don't blame him, but yeah. I, I'm very curious because it, it very much you know looking past the the narrative in the story, there's very much a point of the writer Robert Jordan being like, don't forget about this. Yeah. Uh, do you think the daughter of the nine moons is coming in this book, or do you think <laughs> it's too soon? No, I think it is because I've made these predictions before where I'm thinking we're going to see it in two books or something and then it happens the next chapter. Yeah. So when something gets mentioned, there is an immediacy. There is a... It comes a lot faster than I've ever called it. Right. So I, I think we're going to find out what that's all about very, very soon. All right. No idea what it is. No idea. But I think we are going to find out. All right. We'll just have to see. But mm-hmm. you did reference something earlier. Matt is Matt watches Rand being escorted by the maidens of the spear, and he goes, Rand, Rand, loose Theron, which is such a chilling moment. Yeah. Because it's like, did it's like did Rand turn at that because he didn't expect to hear it, or how much is loose Theron starting to creep into him? You know. Mm-hmm. Again, I think you know this is very much a series, not specifically about reincarnation. But those poetic echoes do exist, not even as literary devices, but as character devices. Right. And Rand very much is loose Theron, and you know we've had references in past books of him and the Dark Lord going at it through all of time. Yeah. Uh, and now we have Matt kind of you know finding his own singularity of all of his past lives, or you know however his connection with all of them. So I think there's almost a. It's not quite Matt and Rand anymore. It is what they represent. Yeah. And so invoking Luz Theron, we're getting so much closer to that uh, that struggle, you know, because the first time we meet Luz Theron is, is the breaking of a world. Yeah, in, in the prologue. In, yeah, Eye of a World. Um, so I think it is very interesting that, yeah, this isn't just Matt and Rand anymore. They, they have everything before them coming yeah. to a head right now, presently. Everything from the past comes back, mm-hmm. I think, is what kind of the almost main theme of this chapter is. Like, yeah. every like consequences of your actions and nothing in the past stays in the past, yeah. you know? Like, Bran says, like, when he was meeting with the clan chiefs about, like, he remarks a lot of the Aiel are running away because they can't face the fact that, essentially, their ancestors and who they are violates the belief of Jito. Exactly. You know, and the fact that they know this, and Rand says it had to have happened. Mm-hmm. It was going to happen. The past is the past, but it still comes back, you know? Right. Um, but the last chapter, uh, Twilight, I think. No, Pale Shadows. Um, Rand is now chilling with, uh, he has his roof mistress. No, Jesus Christ. He has the Maidens of the Spear who hold his honor. And I love that they treat him as either as either a little brother. He's like, some of them will talk to him. Some of them, these women are like old enough to be his mother. And they'll talk to him like he's their brother coming over for tea. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like his age. And will be like, did you eat enough? Did you uh, dress for the heat? Like, I love this sort of relationship Rand has with these women. It's sort of like, again, it's nice that he has these people on his side. Mm-hmm. And then Avienda comes in. <laughs> and Avienda is... So she's facing the ramifications of essentially telling Rand that the wise ones and Egwene are looking into his dreams. And so he started shielding his own dreams, which Avienda's kind of facing the brunt of. And Rand's like, why don't you just tell them, like, I did it myself? She's like, well, no, that's, you would destroy my honor, you know? And again, it's Rand figuring out I.O. customs and all that. Mm -hmm. But we see Asandra again. And, uh... She's yeah, been kind of, she's been kind of through it. Like we yeah, find out, 
she got caught stealing and she was only spared the Aiel punishment of having to walk naked back to the dragon wall because Bran was like, can we just do something else? So now she's essentially, I believe, made Guy Shan. And we find that she's been trying to get to Rand's room like More seven times. times. Yeah. Like, so I don't know if she's just after some dragon dick or if there's still a nefarious purpose because Haddon Kadir does... Like still gives off like not good vibes, you know. Yeah, I, I still personally for me, I I think they're all dark friends. I think there's something kind of happening beneath the surface. I yeah. don't think they're just who they say they are. Uh, so I got my eyes out for that. Yeah, it's good to have your eyes out. Um, Alvienda has her eyes out on Asandra for sure because she literally takes the drink and goes, "Get the fuck out of here. Go tell the wise ones what you've been doing." Anyway, Nightrand, like, it's. Oh, poor girl. Yeah. Not before giving him a gift. Yes. Out of hatred. Oh, yeah, like... That custom had me laughing so hard. I love it so much. It's so petty. Well, I love that she explained, you have to give a gift to the people that you hate. Here's a gift. Do you hate me? Yes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and we... She's, I think there's something deeper to it, because it doesn't seem like it's just because of Elaine. I think, I think Avienda, especially Dean Aiel, just knows more than we do as the readers, or more as Rand does as, you know, the Dragon Reborn. I think, yeah, there are some, there's some deep motives here. Yeah. It's not just a surface level hate or pettiness or anything. I think Avienda, too, very much like some of the players we've been introduced to, I think she's going to be a big, big player this book. Oh, yeah. So. All right, all right. Well... This chapter ends with Rand having lovely, sweet dreams about the women in his life. And mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to end this episode. Eric, who gets the uh, Gold Star of the Week? Yeah, uh, so this one might be a little controversial, <laughs> uh, but I'm giving it to Asmodian. Okay. Uh, I think he is uh, positioning himself. You know, I think he's going to be a sly and slick player of this book. And if I'm correct, he is doing everything right for himself. Uh, still very much the bad guy, but as far as, you know, character pursuits and whatnot, he is absolutely killing it. Yeah. Uh, as far as a color change, um, that guy who fell through the, the twisted doorway? Uh, mm -mm. Red card? A red card, I'm sorry. Sorry, bud. We're, we're skipping yellow and going straight to deten detention. Canceled. Permanent detention. <laughs> yeah. Really. Die. Um... And I don't really have a armor-piercing question this week. I probably will have one next week. Um, totally fine. Uh, if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we do appreciate you stopping in. We do record these live on our Discord server. If you don't follow us on uh, Instagram or Twitter, uh, why don't you do so? We are trying to post there a little bit more often. Um Loyal's Book Club on Instagram and Loyal underscore S on Twitter. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us again. May you always find water and shade. And may you always walk in the light. We will see you guys next week. Um, really quick, forgot to mention this. We will be joining the Wheel Reads on Tuesday, where we will be joining them where they are nearly halfway through the Shadow Rising, so it'll be fun to revisit that. And then join us on Wednesday. We will be joined by the Way of the Leaf podcast. So you guys have a good one. And this is two intros, so sorry.